Hey, this is Alex, just letting you know that the mathematics in this episode in particular is a little more difficult than usual. If this is your first time listening to the show and you don't want to be put off by something that's potentially a little too hard, try episode 11 or episode 4. Those are good ones. And, uh, and then come back to this one when you've got a feel for the show. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to Odds and Evenings, a podcast about mathematics, puzzles, numbers and games. My name uh, is Alex and uh, I'm one of your hosts and with us as ever is this guy. Hello, I'm Alaric Stephen. He you? is Alaric Stephen. Um, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. Um, back at school now, teaching some maths and engineering. Voice works, voice functional. Yep, well, it's not like I've been talking any less, but my voice just gets used to it. You got a beefier voice. Mm. Yeah. I've been... Uh, Watching a lot of reaction videos by voice coaches, where okay. they react to artists performing live and talking very knowledgeably about like what's happening in their larynx at that point, and like, oh, that bit was a bit flat, and now oh, they're stretching for that. Hmm. And um, there's a lot going on in a voice box. Hmm. Um, it's uh, interesting, very interesting. I do wonder a little bit about what all that was about with your voice and how that works. Well, the kind of biological mechanics behind it. Yeah, and, and why why it is that it's it's all very sort of quick, you know? Like, how can you lose that vocal strength in two days. six weeks or whatever? Or how oh, can I see you what regain you it in two days? Like, yeah. like if, it, if it was muscle, it would take longer than that. I don't really know what the structure of a voice box is. It's a bit weird and flappy, and uh, it's really not worth looking into if you don't want to th- think about it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably happy with the ignorance on this one. As with most biological things. Uh, maths? Yep, let's do it. Alright. So, I've been playing a game called Untangle. It's one of those mindless games that I play when I'm listening to an audiobook or a podcast. Um, maybe Diz Listener could do the same thing. Did you invent it? No. Good, because the name's not very good. I imagine it's one of those ones which has been made by lots of different people. And this is just the version I'm playing on, on some like conglomerate of a whole lot of different puzzles. Yeah, and it's probably the most common word in all of the things that people named it. Yep. Yeah. With it, you're given a whole lot of nodes. You can choose how many nodes you do. I often do it with 50. And the nodes have arcs going between them and other nodes. Usually each one's connected to two, three or four other nodes. And... The aim of the game is to move the nodes around until it's all planar, so none of the lines are crossing. Mm. And it's just kind of therapeutic. You don't have to, to really think too much. You're just moving points, and it's... Is this, a, is this a digital game? Yes. Okay. And so I play it on my tablet. I think there's phone versions as well. And you're just slowly unwrapping everything. It all starts off as a mess, and it becomes right. not a mess. Right. My question is, how does the algorithm that generates the puzzle work? so that it always makes a graph which is planar. Because if you just ra- randomly connect nodes to other nodes, then there's a good chance it wouldn't be planar, particularly as n gets quite big. Yeah. So, I think I know. Okay. Just intuitively. But the question is, how does it make interesting interesting puzzles? The thing that immediately came to mind is it doesn't create arcs and nodes, it creates shapes that touch each other. Okay, yeah. And then turns their vertices and edges into arcs and nodes, and That's then jumbles it up, and then just and then and then randomizes the. Yeah. Right. Once you've generated the planar one, you then give each of the nodes a number one to fifty, and then you put them around in a circle, like which were randomized. So you make a bunch of. Uh, I don't want to say tessellated because tessellated implies repetition. Yep. But you make a bunch of polygons that all attach to each other. Yeah. Ah, but then how would you go about making a bunch of polygons that all attached to each other? Well, this is it. So, behind the scenes, it's not seeing where things are. It just knows about the structure of it. So it knows this node connects to that node, this one connects to that node. So you can think of it as a big 50 by 50 table, with zeros and ones. Zero means there isn't a connection, one means there is. How does the computer, looking at that table, without any idea of the kind of, uh, the space in which this is taking, know that it's not crossing over stuff? Imagine if you've got a whole lot of squares and quadrilaterals and triangles and that sort of thing all put together, some of them sharing sides, because that would be sharing two nodes connected to each other. Yeah. How do you know that 
when you add a quadrilateral, that it is a quadrilateral which isn't crossing some other triangle. So I'm pretty sure the shape methodology is how it does it. I am interested in what you're going for, which is that, like, is there a matrix method? And I think the matrix method is probably also the way that's done. Yeah. Like, there's some calculation you can perform on a matrix to work out if something is planar. I can imagine that it does it using triangles and then it merges triangles. Ah, okay. So as I was thinking about some of these algorithms, I was thinking about ways that it could potentially work. One of my methods ended up creating something which was just all triangles. So the method was an inductive one. You start off with some number of points already connected to each other. To add a new point, you could find three points which are mutually connected together. So A, B and C Uh, all have lines in the middle. And put one in the middle. Ah, yeah. Because that that always works, doesn't it? Oh no, it doesn't. I've just thought about it. Imagine you've got A, B, C, they're all connected together. Yeah. You insert D in the middle, which connects to all of them. Yeah. A, B and C are all still connected together. Yeah. If you try to add another one... But you don't apply it, add another one at that point. You redefine which your three interesting nodes are. So you... The the condition has to be they all mutually connect and there isn't one that connects to all three of them. Which is something you could check looking at your table. Because if you've got one that only connects to one or two of them, that's still fine. You can still fit one that fits to all three in between. Anyway, that still creates only triangles. What is the densest planar grid you can create? It's probably triangles, right? Oh no, no tri- triangles will have will, will connect to six things. One of the rules has got to be that you can't have... Oh, no, you totally can. <laughs> no, yeah. I was about to say, you, you, you can't have a node that connects to seven things, but you, you can. Well, in this game, the nodes all have degree two, three, or four. Okay. Um, Usually three or four, just looking at it. Yeah. Maybe it maps out a full, dense, triangular grid, and then it removes a node and all of its arcs that connect to it. Okay. And then it keeps removing random ones. Until it's planar. Until it fits the rules that it wants. No, it it starts planar. Because it, you just have that triangular thing that we were just talking about. Oh, I, I see. And you're and merging triangles together to make bigger shapes. N- you, well, maybe you're not sort of merging per se. Well, I guess maybe you are merging. Uh, suddenly, I've I've switched to node and arc thinking rather than shape thinking. Okay, yeah. So <laughs> you, 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 you do the triangular thing. You then flip your head into node and arc. And then you have a bunch of nodes, a bunch of arcs. And then you remove nodes and all arcs that were connected to it. Um, until you're, you're at the rules that you want to be yeah until you get something pretty yeah and maybe you can even um you can even start not using a triangular grid but using a hexagonal grid because then everything everything is connected with three i like this method yeah yeah and then that way it gets down can you ever have something that has one if you do that yes Um, imagine something had two already order two yeah by taking away one of its lines, you're merging one of the triangles, or whatever shape is next to it, with the outside. So if you just say, don't consider the outside as a shape, yeah. then everything would never get to... Oh, no. Imagine the two was contained like somewhere in the middle of the mess. Mm. Yeah, you would get things with one. But, okay, you write into the algorithm that if something is order two, uh, don't remove any of its lines. Well, I don't see any reason why you can't have an order one thing. Hmm. Do you have them in the game? No, you don't. Okay, it's all order two or three or four. Yeah, that's it. Or four. Yes. Oh, well, then you can't start with a hexagon because you never get a four. They must start with a square grid. Well, imagine if you started off with your triangles. Yeah, you could start with the triangles, but then you've got to keep checking that there isn't one with five. Okay, yeah. If you were trying to recreate the game on my tablet, you would have to do that. If you wanted to make it in general, ones with higher order nodes, then that would work. Yes. Yes, that's what I'm going for. Yeah, so okay. The rule, if you have the rule, that, um, the rule that you can't have more than four, then it's probably a good idea to start with a grid where everything has four. The minimum conditions for something being planar. Back when I learnt decision maths, one of the graphs that you encounter is something called the complete five graph, K5. And that's where you've got five nodes all connected. Every node is connected up to every other node. The pentagram. Yep. 
that is famously non-planar. Like you always hit, need at least one crossing. Yeah. And the other one that you learn about in D1 is um, it's the utility problem. So you've got three houses connecting them up to gas, electricity, and water. Mm. So all three utilities are connected to all three houses. Is the um, decay free free graph. And that, again, is impossible. I was doing a bit of research about planarity algorithms, like things that check whether something is planar. Yeah. And actually, those are the only two cases that, that kind of break. Uh, those are... If you can find something which is one of those-ish. If you find one that contains it. Yeah, it's it's almost that. Imagine you start, you had a K5 graph and you um you start, you split one of the nodes into more. So you took one of your nodes, which was order four, and you split it into yeah. like a one and a three or a two and a two or that sort of thing. You added yeah. more nodes along the way. Uh, it's kind of an extension of the K5. All non-planar graphs are ones which contain either an extension of the K5 or an extension of the K33. Interesting. Yeah. Something I've been thinking about for a while, and, th- and then I'll get on to an even trickier question um, related to this, is uh, are all graphs volumina? What, what does that word mean? As in, can you have them in a volume? You know, like, one of the ways you get around a graph being non-planar is you just imagine it in 3D space, and you imagine the lines sort of going past each other. Okay, yep. Um, are all graphs capable of being drawn in 3D space? And I suspect the answer is yes. I suspect it is as well. You're trying to... It feels like only surfaces would block you from getting to yeah. something. Yeah, so maybe there's a, there's a, there's a more like higher degree form of graph where instead of two nodes making a point, you have three nodes making a plane. Yep. And then you and then you see if the planes cross each other. I've seen problems in the past where it's there's a third dimension, but that has limits on it. So um, examples would be: imagine you've got two printed circuit boards, but you're allowed wires going from one circuit board to the other. So it's like you're in this plane or this plane, or going between them. Mm. Or um, something like: imagine you're dividing up territories on Earth, but then they've all got claims on the Moon as well. So they've divided up the moon in terms mm. of um, country ownership as well. And if you were doing a colouring theorem thing on that, well, without the moon, the four colours suffices for colouring countries so that neighbouring countries don't have the same colour because it's, it's just the normal on-a-plane problem. Yeah. Yeah. But if you also have these countries can also claim a territory on this separate sphere, the moon, and you still want to have them and their territories coloured in the same colour as each other, but you want to have... Uh, neighbouring countries on both the moon and on earth as different colours mm. and that becomes a lot more pro- problematic and it's not quite 3D it's like you've got two 2D problems but yeah. they're interlinked a multiverse if you did have property on the moon yep the stuff that was on the side that faces the earth that would have a higher property value because it has sea views <laughs> <laughs> yep yeah, alright yeah, just thinking about that. Also, the backside of the moon. Don't, don't know if you've ever seen a, a map of the backside of the moon, but it is ugly. It's uh, There's nothing that has no interesting features to it. Presumably hmm. because it faces outwards, so it just gets smashed by a bunch of uh, rocks all the time. Or more frequently, I guess. I, I don't think I'd be able to name many features on the moon. It doesn't have... You've got the oh, Tycho really? Crater. The Sea of Cydonia. Is that one? Cydonia is an area on the moon. Uh, no, the Sea of Tranquility. That's it. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so you know your game? Yep. How does it check that you haven't won? I don't know. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> as soon as you've won, it flags up a thing saying congratulations. But I have no idea. I hadn't even thought about that. How could you... Mm. You can't just do it from the grid, the table of um, what connects to what. No. You need to consider the actual space. Yeah. No maybe, idea. Maybe it has areas yeah so you can define triangles of connected nodes or you can or you, you can define any shape with a um a series of inequalities okay uh let's say you wanted to define the the inequality that is the line great like that's higher up than y equals x so you would say y is greater than x and below it is y is less than x Yep. Um, defining areas in 2D space is defined with a series of inequalities that you have to fulfill. And it's yep. probably just checking 
big old list of inequalities for all the points. But that seems very quadratic. Like, that seems like that could get out of hand quite quickly. Quadratic isn't that bad if you're doing 50 points. Yeah. I emailed Ben asking him about this problem, and he came up with something a bit different. He he put some of his initial thoughts on this. So yeah. I asked him if there was an algorithm that would generate these. Ben is our resident computer science expert. Yep. Yeah. Um, so his suggestion as to how you might do it, generate points on a 2D plane, so just randomly, not connected yep. yet, yep. Uh, build some sort of search tree relying on the triangle property to search for points near each other. So what, what he'd be defining is some sort of metric here which would decide how close things were to other things. Right. Um, and then for each point, until the graph is fully connected, find the cl- two closest other points and connect them. Um, and it says here that always choosing the two closest points ensures that you remain planar, i.e. if there was a line that would overlap, then that line isn't actually the shortest route between its origin and its destination. Ah, yes. So, for, uh, yeah, if, if, if you've transformed the triangular grid, like, all the nodes that are sort of next to it are its closest nodes. Yep. Almost, that's almost a tautology. If you can imagine you've just got four points and then you stretch it into a parallelogram, yep. you wouldn't go from the far away tips to each other because that's too, that's too far away. So the triangle property here, this is using the fact that it's always a longer distance to go two sides along a triangle than the third side. Is that the property he's using here? I don't know. I mean, that's a true statement, and it, it relates to distances here. No, well, then that, that's probably right. All right. Well, that seems like such, that seems like a really good thing to get the lovely listeners at home to uh, potentially weigh in on. Yeah. Generate an algorithm here. How does it check? You've got positions of points, and you know what's connected to what. How does it know? I'm going to talk about a related puzzle generation graph theory thing. Uh, there's less to think about on this one, but it's just something I saw in the Mathematical Gazette. Okay. Um, I can't remember which issue. I left it at work, but it was one of the ones from the 90s. So that should be enough to cut it down if you want to uh, research it yourself. Yeah. Um, imagine you've got N points, N nodes. What we want to do is design um, a puzzle where someone has to find a Hamiltonian cycle. And what we want it from this puzzle is for it to be unique. We spent a lot of time on the last episode, or maybe the episode before, talking about Hamiltonian cycles and Eulerian paths. Yep. Uh, remind me which is which. <laughs> so Hamiltonian here, what we want is to go through every node without repeating a node. And we want it to be a cycle so you end up back where you started. Got it. So the algorithm I'm going to give you generates a graph where it has a unique Hamiltonian cycle and it satisfies the property that over fifty percent of the potential lines, the potential arcs, are there, so they're reasonably dense. Because if it was not very dense, then the Hamiltonian cycle is easy to spot. If it exists. Yeah. Yeah. And so this algorithm is relatively simple. It's just the proof of it, uh, which is harder to to kind of digest. So start off with your end nodes. Yep. Connect them all around in a big circle. So uh, yeah. one goes yep. to two, goes to three, etc. goes up to N, which yeah. then connects back to one. Oh, you draw the path first. Uh, well, that's one of... One of the possible paths. That would be the path. If you're not going to take any nodes away, and then you just add some uh, obscuring factors. Yes, yeah, you're and right. Then you, and, then you, and then you jumble it up. Yeah, so these are the obscuring factors. Then, take every even node, and connect it up to every node which is greater than it. So... Let's say you have nodes 1 to 6. You connect them all up in a big loop around the edge. Yep. Then you connect 2 to 4, 5, and 6. Oh, to, to every even one that's greater than it. Uh, to or... every one that's greater than it. It's already connected to 3 because it's uh, going around in the loop. Ah, so you said 4, 5, and 6. Yep. And then you connect 4 to, to 6, and then you're done. Um, and what have, what have you made there, sorry? You've made something which has a unique Hamiltonian cycle, which is just going around the edge, and its order of nodes, the density oh, of the it is maximum, over 50%. Is it the maximum possible? It's the maximum possible number of arcs for that number of nodes, 
where there's only one Hamiltonian cycle. Yep. It's always guaranteed to be over 50%. Mm. And then the way you obscure it is you just move them around. Yeah. Because otherwise you just go around the edge. But it's just quite nice. And you could easily generate as many as you wanted with the algorithm and make a puzzle game out of it. Yeah. As soon as you've got more than, say, eight points, it becomes quite hard to spot the Hamiltonian cycle. I bet there's a nice little uh, mobile game with too many ads to be made out of that. Uh, yeah, sure, make it. Um, I mean, I bet it already exists. And <laughs> this podcast going out and someone can make it before us and I don't know any mobile gaming. Ways you can do this where it doesn't look like graph theory is you could have a, um, a puzzle, say, you've got a whole lot of children, you're trying to sit them around a table, but um, Johnny refuses to sit next to Alice... Uh, Bob refuses to sit next to Alice or Freya and so oh, you, on. you do the anti-graph and you talk about who refuses to sit next to who. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and you can make quite large puzzles like that where it looks like it's not a graph or everything. So uh, I think I'm, I'm about ready to... I've got too many graphs in my head now so I'm going to knock yep. that one on the head. I'm happy um, to. But, but that, was, that, was, that was good. Thank you very much. This is something you may already know some people might know off the top of their head but it'd be nice if we could step through the methodology and you might need pen and paper okay i'm ready how long is a spiral what type of spiral is this well that's exactly what i thought you'd ask when i first thought about this in sixth form yep um i concluded that there were only two types of spiral which is probably very (laughs) wrong you had geometric spirals and arithmetic spirals okay do you want to define those so I define them stupidly badly, um, which is I define them by an arbitrary line that's drawn from the center of the spiral outwards in any direction. And I said that the points at which it would, that line was intersected, I oh, probably didn't arithmetic use such precise series language. Or yeah, geometric series. is an arithmetic series or a geometric series. Okay. So if we look at the graph that you have with polar coordinates. Very happy with polar coordinates. So R equals theta. I can't say fetus, but... That's all right. Yep. Um, that's arithmetic, because every time it's gone 2 pi wider in radius, every time it's gone around. That's interesting. So how do you do, the, how do, you do a geometric one? Is it theta to the R? No, it's R to the theta. It has to never hit zero. And it has, to nev- it has to never hit zero based on theta. So it can't be theta to the r because theta could be zero. Yep. In which case r. Oh wait, hold on. No, you had r equals theta. We need an r equals formula. Yep. Like it should go as r equals. Or. And in ideally, it should be in terms of just thetas. The power. Um, yeah, power of just theta. Theta over two pi. Here's how many rotations it's gone. So if we did like the floor function of that. Gives us how many rotations. Yeah. So theta over 2 pi all floored. So how many rotations? How many complete rotations? Yep. Yeah, because that obviously that gives you the fractional rotation. Oh, okay, yeah, we don't need the floor function in there, do we? Hmm. So how about, like, r equals 2 to the power of theta over 2 pi? Yeah, the floor is useful, actually, to, for thinking purposes. Yep. So it's gone around twice... Yeah, that's it. That's the one. I'm loading up um, Desmos, which is my graphing software of choice. Because it does polar coordinates. I'm doing it too. So... So if we just check this, if we looked along the ones on the real line, not the real line, I've been doing complex numbers with my favorite mathematicians, the um, x-axis. Yeah. Where does it intersect? So what we're trying to find here is when theta is a multiple of 2 pi, what do we get out? We get 1, 2, 4, 8, etc. I don't get 1, 2, 4, 8. What's wrong with mine? What have you typed in? R equals 2 to the theta. Oh, I've put in 2 to the power of theta over 2 pi, which is just a scaling factor. Yes, there we go. There you have your geometric spiral. 1, 2, 4, 8, 16, 32, and so on. Very nice. So your question is, how long is a spiral? How long is a spiral? Well, it's an integral. Yep. You have to choose a starting and a stop point. Yep. Because otherwise the answer is infinity. For both so the, of them. One those of them are our limits. One of them, the arithmetic one is semi-infinite, and the geometric one is infinite. Because the arithmetic one has a clear end at the origin. 
the geometric one will spiral inwards forever. As theta becomes less than zero, yeah, you can think of the arithmetic one as keep going back. So our formula for that was r equals theta. Yeah. If you put negative numbers for theta, it just spirals out again because you get negative values up for r. That's true. Yeah. So you can think of it as infinite in both directions if you allow that. It spirals in and spirals out again. Yes. Yes. If you allow a negative r. Yep. Yeah. Um, so you got to do you got to do a tiny chunk, and uh, a tiny chunk is uh, r d theta. Yep. Let's say you're doing one turn of a geometric spiral. Okay. So you're going from theta equals zero to theta equals two pi. You're just integrating. 2 to the power of theta over 2 pi from theta equals 0 to theta equals 2 pi. Okay, so you're, you're going for first principles here. There are some formulas we can do with these. Arc length formulas. Okay. Seems like cheating, but okay. <laughs> um, so, the length of an arc length here, when you've got it in polar coordinates, is the integral from A to B, so the limits. This is yeah. um, limits on theta. Yeah. So in ours, I suppose it's 0 to um, well, infinite. Because it yeah, so it's a start and a stop point, so you can go from theta equals zero to theta equals say six pi or something. Okay, should we do two pi? So we've done okay. one rotation. Sure. So integral from zero to two pi of root of so there's going to be two things inside this root. Mm-hmm. R squared plus dr d theta squared. Oh, that's a slightly more sensible. That's the actual... Uh, that must have been why in, when I did it in sick form I got the wrong answers. Because that is the actual arc thing. Because I'm not taking into account how far outward it's going. Yeah. So you need to do uh, the root of... Yes. R squared... Mi- is it minus? R squared minus that? R squared plus dr d theta all squared. So the all squared is on the dr d theta. Oh, I don't understand that. Well, no, I do understand why the, the dr d theta is all squared but I don't understand why it's plus because you're you're doing Pythagoras right? yep um, well it comes from a form that is probably more familiar to to people when doing arc length where it's the integral again for d theta of root of dx d theta squared plus dy d theta squared yeah and then when you just go through the transformation turning your x's and y's into r's and theta's it remains with a big plus in the middle Oh, you're multiplying that out. Yep. Yeah, because dx is dr. Uh, oh, no, that's not true, because it depends on theta. So you've got uh, x equals r cos theta and y equals r sine theta, just from definitions of polar coordinates. Yeah, 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 yeah. You just churn for it. So dx, yes, you just... there's Oh, yeah, there's quite a lot there, isn't there? Okay, yeah, I, sh- I shouldn't be surprised at that. So should we try doing this integral for your arithmetic one, r equals theta? Just get a feel for how this formula works. Uh, Yeah, go on then. So I'm going to do it from 0 to 2 pi. Okay. Um, so it's root of r squared, which is just theta squared. Yeah. Plus, well, dr d theta is just 1. So 1 squared is 1. dr d theta is 1. Why is that? Because our equation was r equals theta. So dr is d theta. Y- yeah. Well, that's true as well. Uh, all I've done is I've started off, off with the equation r equals theta. And yeah. I've differentiated it with respect to theta. Uh, uh, yeah, dr by d theta equals 1, therefore yep. dr equals d theta. That's true, yep. Sorry, are you saying dr d theta, or are you saying dr by d theta? I, I'm saying I'm saying the words dr d theta yeah. in the same way that I would say the words dy dx. So dy multiplied by dx? No, I, meaning... Oh, Alaric, you can't do that in the slightest. What are you doing? Oh, <laughs> oh, I'm very mad. That's not how you do that. Oh my god, you're going to... So much miscommunication if you do... You need to cut that out of your language. Oof. Oof. <laughs> Oof. Okay. D-Y-D- you... DYDX is something used and said so often in maps. No. Not when you're doing this. Not when not... you're doing multi... Not when you're doing multi-variable integrals. Right. Ooh. Okay. All right, all right, all right, all right. I've, I've calmed down. Right. Okay, you need to restate everything for me because I've got a different formula in my head now. So it's r squared plus dr, DR by d theta. dr by d theta. Yes. Do you want square me to go back each, and each explain squares. some of these bits? No, no, no. This is fine. Um, 
Mm -hmm. but, but okay, right. No, that okay. I tell yes. That I that I definitely don't understand that formula now. But I'm willing to press on. So, um, r squared, r is theta. So it's theta squared plus, and dr by theta is one. Yep. So square so it's root, root of theta yeah. squared plus one. Yeah. Integrated. What's the um? What's the 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 infinitesimal here? D theta. Yep. Okay. That's all in a big square root. Yep. This is one of the standard results. I think it's one of the um, hyperbolic trig functions. Yes, because you have to replace theta at this point with tan, right? Tan uh, squared plus one is something? Yeah. Cos, cos squared plus one is something? So you, you replace with a, with a trig thing. You do so tan squared plus one is sec squared. And root. sec squared's easy because that's just... Um... Well, you're then rooting it, which gets you sec. But also yeah. when you do the d theta, so du d theta and do the substitution... You get stuff with sex in it. Okay. So don't actually know what the result is, but yeah. this is evaluatable. Yes. If you wanted to go further on this, for both the arithmetic and the geometric, you could, for every rotation, so when you're going from some integer lot of 2 pi to that integer plus 1 lot of 2 pi, you could get a general formula for how much extra line has happened in that rotation. The reason we don't want to do the whole thing zero to infinity is they're both infinite. So that doesn't tell us anything interesting. But you can work out for any rotation, like, how much extra is generated. Yeah. And then you could also work out if you were to take the point at the end, you know, after it's done one rotation, obviously it's two ends mismatched. Yep. And then if you were to imagine it's a big bendy thing like a straw or like a glow stick, and you were to put the two points next to each other to work out how you know what that circle looks like and not for any real reason <laughs> i'm just uh, <laughs> just looking at the graph and imagining stretching and squashing this thing interestingly it's self-similar i mean not interestingly uh, trivially it's self-similar hmm. so if you imagine the spiral starting again at two then it's the same spiral as the one that goes from one to two is the same one as it goes from two to four it's just yep. twice as big yeah so it's the addition of those lengths that's just twice as big. And so the length, then, must be root 2 as long. That makes so sense. So you can therefore, you can, you can get the uh, total length relatively trivially, if as long as you're doing complete turns, then you have a geometric series where the, the R factor is root 2. And then you can yeah. skip having to do another integral. You can just, you can just do that. So when I first brought this up in uh, sick form, my teacher said that you could think that there might be other types of spirals too, um, like a logarithmic spiral. Yeah, so logarithmic is... log theta. So you can make whatever function you want, really. So it's equivalent, but it's r equals like a constant times e to the constant theta yeah. is the logarithmic one. Do you want a, um, a logarithmic spiral history of maths fact? <laughs> uh, I... I... Yes, I do, but I would like to appreciate the fact that you you know a logarithmic spiral history of maths <laughs> fact. Carry on. Uh, so, Bernoulli. Um, yes. Jacob Bernoulli, because there are yeah. about three famous Bernoullis in maths. Yep. He chose a logarithmic spiral to go on his gravestone, and it, it was with a motto, Idem mutata resurgo. So, changed and yet the same, I rise again. It's the translation. Mm. Using the kind of invariant thing from that you're talking about with the geometric spiral. Yeah. It's, it's the same as you go out and out and out. Mm. But the stonemason did um, an Archimedean spiral instead, so an arithmetic one. Oh. <laughs> Stupid stonemason. Don't you know maths? There we go. That is quite a good logarithmic spiral history of maths fact. Yep. And I don't want to talk on this topic any further. <laughs> Juggling. Also Juggling. horses. Also horses. Yep. So, which one do I introduce first? I'm going to introduce two things, and then they're going to combine. Which okay. which medicine would you like first? Horses. Right, okay. You know horses, how they have legs? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, do you know how they move along? Yes. So they're different gates. Yes. Is what we're going so to be talking about. If they walk like a cat... So if you imagine the back left foot is number one and the back yep. right foot is number two, 
Yep. And this is an, I'm numbering them for labeling purposes. And then the front Ooh. left is three. Yep. And the front right is four. Okay, I'm happy with that. Then you would go three, two, one, four. Three, two, one, four. Yes, that's true. So you do your left, you do your left foot out the front, and then you do your back right foot. Yep. Um, so, 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 so it's right. the kind of alternate pinching. It's so you have two feet together and two feet apart. Yes. Yeah. Um, and that is defined as a walk. So lots of animals do that one, and that is a walk as opposed to some of these other words like a trot and canter and gallop and things. Gallop. Yeah. Cats walk like that, but they g- do different forms of locomotion, different gates, depending on what speed they're going. Mm. It's like each gate has a, a maximum energy efficiency for a particular speed. Have we moved from horses to cats now? Uh, I'm happy to do either. They're, they're very okay, similar. let's do cats. Okay. A walk is the slowest one. Yeah. But there are a whole lot of different ones like, along the way, and each one kind of gets faster as they go along. So a bound is the front two out together, back two out together. Yes, that's how I imagine cats running. Yeah, it's, ha- it's how you jump over a wall. Yeah. So, um, I think that one is used not so much for like just travelling along usually. It's like when you're doing a particular leap. The fastest one, which is related to that, is the gallop. Yeah. And that's like, imagine um, the total time period here is one. Yeah. You go... Back left at time zero. Yeah. You go back right at time, say, 0.1. Yeah. So just after it. And then you go front right, time 0.8. And front left, time 0.9. Oh. So if you have your hands and you make, like, two little legs with your fingers. Yeah. It goes with your hand, which is at the back, left right. And then with your hand at the front, it goes right left. So, da-da, yes. da-da. I'm doing this with one hand. Okay. You know, that kind of giraffe you can make with your middle fingers. Uh, yeah, I'm making the same giraffe. Yep. Do-do, do-do. That's the transverse gallop. Sometimes you can do the rotatory gallop, and that's back, left, right, and then front, left, right. But that's less common. So each of them would be left, right. Hmm. But it's, it still has that same beat of da-da, da-da. But that is typically the fastest that people do. There are a couple in between. So a trot is a bit of a weird one. Animals don't often do this by themselves. Um, but a trot is diagonally opposite legs moved together. Mm. So this is commonly found in lizards and salamanders and things. Because it gives you the kind of wiggle. So oh yeah, the salamander left, wiggle. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing it, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um... The, it's mostly a lizardy thing. Mammals do it if they tend to spend a lot of time up in trees. It's quite good for climbing, because you've always got two in contact with mm, branch yeah. or trunk or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually, they do this quite slowly, don't they, even? Like, you sometimes you see some lizards moving two legs at the same time. Yeah. Very slowly. Yeah. Again, it's got this kind of speed thing. So if a lizard wants to move quicker, it tends not to do that, and it will go more like a bound. Hmm. Um... Or they would go up on their hind legs. Yeah. And run. They go by people. Just their back legs. Uh, yeah. What I wanted to talk about is this in relation to juggling. Okay. Um, because it, it has some of the same patterns. Some juggling patterns are ones for two people. So you'll have balls or clubs or whatever it is going from one person to the other person. Interesting. And so you can think of it as you've got four limbs. You've got one person's left and right hand, and you've got the other person's left and right hand. Yeah. And most of the time, people, you're kind of doing it in sync. So when I do passing juggling, I'm usually doing, I suppose it's the equivalent of the trot. My right hand is doing the same thing as their right hand. Yeah. So we do both a throw with the right hand at the same time, but because they're facing me, that's the equivalent of like the opposite diagonal. So if I'm facing someone else when juggling, my yes. right hand yes. is diagonally opposite from their right hand. Yes, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a bit like they're doing a trot. Now, I know in theory, you can do other things. You can do things like gallops with juggling. But getting my mind around what's actually happening with the balls in the air is what I thought we could spend some time thinking about. 
What does okay. a gallop look like if you're passing juggling balls to each other between someone, between two people? Now, your left hand goes, will throw a ball to their left hand. No, that can't be right. You have to throw it to their right hand. Yes. Your right hand throws a ball where? Okay, so there are different beats you can do. There's one beat, two beat, three beat, or four beat. And it's like how often you are throwing to the other person. So one beat is every beat you're throwing it to the other person. Which, if you want to imagine what that looks like, it's like your left hand and their right hand are doing a free ball juggling pattern between you. So there's two streams that are not connected. Yes. My left hand and your right hand would be juggling free balls together. Okay. And my right hand and your left hand would be juggling free balls together. And mm. be no crossing between. Okay. Two beat is every other throw you would do to the other person. So say, my left hand always throws to my right hand, but my right hand always throws to your left hand. Yeah. It's like all of the juggling equipment is going around in a big circle, if a you're hovering above. Yeah. I think that's probably the one we're going to talk about, because sure. I think that's the easiest to imagine on a podcast. Yeah. Um, free beat is more complicated. If people want to uh, get some objects and think about what that looks like, it's, it's more complicated. Mm. Uh, it's not podcast material, really. Okay. And then four beat is you're mostly juggling to yourself, but every other throw with one of your hands goes to the other person. Okay. Um, in practice, that's the easiest one to do. Hmm. Um, but let, let's think about two beat. So everything's moving topologically around in a circle. Yep. What does that look like if you perform it at a gallop? Does it work? Is there a thing we can do here? So the gallop was the da 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 da. How many balls are there? Well, I'm imagining six, but maybe that's not right. Maybe it changes when it's a gallop. If there's one ball, <laughs> yep. then it's like one person throws it really quick and the other person throws it real slow. Hmm. It's like with the gallop, because when you're doing it with like both the hind legs, it's like da-da. It's like, imagine those are one person's hands. You do a quick one to yourself and then it would take a long time in the air going to the other person. Yeah. A big lofty one going really high. And then they quickly throw it to themselves. And then they do a big lofty one back to you. That would be the case if the timing was 0.156. Ah, that's true. But because they're slightly off, the travel time between the two individuals is different. So one person is throwing it really hard to the other, and the other is long time. I think I've got my timings wrong on a gallop. I think it is that. Because the front legs and the back legs... I think there's the same gap. It's not like most of the time the horse is in the air and then it does four legs in quick succession. I think it does come down to the back legs do things and then halfway through the time signature, the front legs do things. No, I don't think so. Because if you if you imagine, let's say it's Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Yep. You've got your coconuts that you're clopping together. The beat is ba-bump, 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 right? Yeah. Which would indicate back leg, front leg, back leg, front leg. Dun, 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 dun. Ah. It's so not dun, 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 dun. Horses don't run dum 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 dum. It's bum 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 Okay. So I think your timing, your original timing is correct. Hmm. You've got a kind of asymmetry between the people. Yeah. The way you can get longer between beats is you just do a higher throw. Yes. And then when you're not doing the high throw, you're almost like just passing the ball to the other person. Yeah, that's true. So it looked like pass, 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 throw up in the air. Yeah. Which, trying to fit more balls around, it's like the big high up in the air is almost a capacitor for several of the balls because they spend most yeah. of the time up there. Yeah. And then the rest of the time you've got this very quick conveyor belt as uh, people quickly pass the balls around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which you could extend to any number of people. Yeah. I know. Not a fun pattern. Typically, these asymmetries are harder to juggle. If you can do something which is just the same thing with both hands or the same thing with all four hands, it's a lot easier to think about. Yeah. Have you ever explored juggling notation? It's quite mathematical. Juggling notation? No, I don't think I have. It's um, a bit like sheet music. So, generally, let's say you've got one person and their hands are going to be alternating throws, so left, right, left, right, in just yeah. a, a regular beat. Um, juggling notation works where it's just a string of numbers. So the normal juggling pattern is three. 
which means like juggling notation is whatever the sequence of numbers is just repeat that so the juggling pattern three is just three 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 what that's saying if you draw out a whole lot of dashes in a row with three written under each of them then the first one the first dash you would count three beats into the future one two three that's the next time that that ball would be thrown right then the next number is three so that gets thrown three beats into the future so i draw a little uh line drawing like where the ball is going three beats into the future yeah then the third one is three beats in the future as well by that time going along the sequence you've got the first one landing yeah and so that gets thrown three beats into the future and so on right so you just get all of these like three lines forming these kind of arcs so you know there's three balls yeah um something like the pattern four zero four zero four zero four zero that's saying that a ball is thrown four beats into the future, so it will next be caught by the same hand. The zero is just saying do nothing. So imagine you threw one up into the air with your left hand, then your yep. right hand does nothing, then you throw another one four beats up into the air with your left hand, then your right one does nothing, and then you repeat because the first one's landed. Ah, that's the so that's the one where you do it in one hand and you've got two balls. That are, yes. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah, that's it. So if you went if you wanted the sequence just four. That's doing two in each hand, with them not crossing over. Hmm. It's like even numbers are frozen to the same hand, odds are ones to the opposite hand. Yes. So if you look at the sequence five, that's balls crossing over again. That's just juggling five balls. Whereas the sequence six would be three in each hand. Because again, you'd be throwing to the same hand because it's even. Where juggling notation gets crazy is if you start thinking about negative numbers. I don't, I don't want to... We were traumatised by negative numbers the last time they came up. <laughs> so the sequence 5, 5, minus 1, negative 1, is one where you've always got balls not... So what you want from a valid site swap is n- no situation where you're having to throw two balls at the same time with the same hand, or catch two balls at the same time with the same hand. Yes. So checking whether a sequence is valid juggling notation is checking that f- things are landing and... Uh, being thrown at different times from each other. It all so, gets a bit group theory-ish. It's, 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 presumably there's some kind of clever algorithm to check that. Yep. You have a string of numbers. Yep. The way you can do it is imagine you're throwing a 6. On the next beat, that's got 5 left. On the next beat, that's got 4 left. If you look at what all the other numbers are doing, and you do the same kind of countdown, you want them not to have the same number at the same time. Well, if you give them, if you give all of them an index... Yep. You never want the uh, the index plus the number at that index to equal the index plus the number yeah. at that index for anything else. Yeah, yeah that's it. Um, you can consider like the state of how many balls have you got in each hand and how many balls have you got in the air, like with how long they've got left to, in the air. Those are all the different states, and people create nice uh, state like flow diagrams of which states can transition into other states. Hmm. They look really interesting. Yeah. People have designed ones where, um, like, if you go onto the Wikipedia page for site swap, which is the name of this notation, yeah, it has a nice one where people have designed it for three balls when none of the balls are going over five in height. You get this just like nice tree. I'll put a, a link in the show notes to it. Mm. But it's all the different states and how you can transition from one to another. With negative notation, you can think of it as your fr- say the minus one. You're throwing a ball. And minus one beats before you threw it, it lands. It's like you're throwing it back in time. Yeah. Which, I mean, you're a physicist. All uh, matter and antimatter problems, electrons and positrons and things. You can think of you throwing balls and anti-balls. So throwing a ball backwards in time is the same as having a throwing an anti-ball forwards in time. And you can use the same sort of tricks that you use in physics. So a ball and an anti-ball will annihilate when they hit each other. Yeah. And you can make a ball and an anti-ball out of nothing and throw them and people build representations of what this uh, like negative juggling would look like oh it has no practical application it's for yeah. thinking it's for it's fun to think about this is what happens when mathematicians get their hands on juggling notation right 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 right, right. Um, I don't know anyone who's a juggler who isn't a mathematician any ball being thrown forward is the same as an anti-ball being thrown backward uh, that's also true but that's less useful because it's easy to think about balls going forwards in time. This is Feynman diagrams we're getting into. Yeah, yeah it's the same yeah. thing. 
So if you think about the, the notation 5, 5, minus 1, uh, it's, a, it's a free ball pattern. It's just sometimes you would have more than that going around. You'd have like four balls and an anti-ball in the air. Good. <laughs> <laughs> Some of these juggling tricks were invented just from what the numbers could do and then were translated into actual real tricks. Ah, things were discovered with the notation. Yep. It, it was the start of the 80s that Siteswap came in, and people were like, oh, wait, this should be possible. Get the balls out. Oh, yeah, it is possible. Huh. That must happen all the time, right? Like, notation is invented, and then it invents new stuff. Yeah, I imagine so. It, this seems quite similar to music, right? You've got notations, you've got what can music do from the music theory, and then the music theory leads to people being like, oh, yeah, that scale does work. So being able to do whatever you want with music score, having been uh, granted the powers given to us by music notation programs such as Sibelius, yep. or uh, you know, the power of uh, the MIDI protocol, has created a, a genre of music called Black MIDI, which is when you just use an enormous number of notes on a piano at the same time in a way that no human could ever possibly play with two hands. Okay. And it's really good, and I really like it. And it adds this sort of elements of artist artistry where people will start sort of drawing things in the MIDI as well. Like, while the music's playing, like there'll be big bars that go up and down, and it's sort of spiralling parts and... Uh, and uh, patterns and, and interesting things that perhaps aren't anything to do with the sound at all. Yeah. Black MIDI is uh, potentially an example of that, but not something people can really play. You know, it didn't it didn't discover anything in the real world. It just uh, enabled electronic music that's kind of half and half between piano music and electronic music. I learnt about this juggling notation maths from a talk um, at Oxford, there was someone that came in and he was a, a juggling mathematician. I met him since at um, maths conferences as well. And he went into some of the group theory of these things. It goes really deep, like far beyond my knowledge of group theory. Yeah, group theory, that's proper, like, people sink into that stuff, don't they? It just goes on and on. All these, there used to be sort of all these textbooks and things in the libraries at Oxford that would just have whole thick books based on one particular type of group. Yeah. And it's hard to believe that there's that much to say about groups, because they're quite simple. If you think how complex, say, like the fields of complex numbers or real numbers are, where there's no end of things to do with them, and then you consider there's loads more groups out there that you we don't even use day to day. They've all got lots of complexity to them. That's fair. Good. Well, thank you for coming along with us on this episode today. It got a bit hairy in a number of places. This is quite a tough one. So if you are somebody who perhaps doesn't have a maths degree or, uh, you know, is or is still coming up and along in your maths career, this you can look forward to understanding this podcast in the future, <laughs> I think. <laughs> but one thing we do at the end of every episode is we go through and we discuss how satisfied we were with the conversation. So what was the first thing that we talked about? Um, so that was me with the Untangle game. Oh yeah, that was great. Yeah. I liked thinking about that. We also went on to the Hamiltonian cycle puzzle generation. Oh yeah. But there wasn't really well. much thinking to do, it was just, um, here is an algorithm. But that, that was nice, it failed in the same ballpark. Yes, that was in the same ballpark. We left an open question, right? Yep. How does the game know that it's finished? And you are not to... <laughs> Download the game onto an Android app and then open up the uh, APK and look at the algorithm. That is cheating. We want people to work it out from the outside. Hmm. I really like that. Nine. Because it's still got Whoa. an open question. Yeah, I'm going to do the same. It was a really good conversation, but there's still an open question. We didn't solve everything, so that is nine territory. The next thing that we talked about was spirals. Spirals? Spirulina. We constructed some equations in polar coordinates. And then we looked at a formula for working at the arc length, which is just a standard result. I just googled to find it. Yeah, and but you, you can work out the arc length from, um, uh, from exactly what you're talking about. Changes. Like, yeah, yeah, like x squared plus y squared and then replacing it and then, yeah. 
and then I'm happy sure enough to just look up the formula because it is in the A level formula books for most syllabuses. Oh, okay. You live your life as though you're taking an A level exam. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the right mentality to have, I suppose. I uh, have a habit of going from first principles and also. Uh, and and this, this crops up in a number of different places in my life. So it cropped up just then. Yep. Well, I wanted to go from the start. Um, it also crops up when I'm programming. Someone will say, we need a computer program that can put a ball in a box. And I'll go, I will write a computer program that can put any size and shape object into any size and shape box. Um, so I'll always go outward generalization, which is really bad because you should start with the most narrow case and then expand your programming from there. Apparently, I've heard when I used to work in a tech company. Mm. Good. Well, I mean, that's potentially solved a few things for me. Um, I didn't go away with like, uh, this is definitely how long all these different types of spirals I used to think about are, but it's given me something that I can play with. Well, what I will be playing with um, after this episode is comparing one rotation of the arithmetic to one rotation of the geometric comparing them and seeing for close in or further out like which one's bigger how much they diverge from each other maybe they get to pretty much the same arc length maybe they don't I don't know you could definitely combine the spirals too they can blend you can go r equals theta plus to to the power of yeah that's true yeah you just add them together I so think you can have one any of those, function. One of those behaviours takes over in the near the centre. One of those is dominant further out. Yeah. It's, it's just size of things. So 2 to the theta is going to dominate when theta is large over just theta. Yes, depending on the scale factor that you whack in front of r equals theta. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Six. Yeah. There were no wild revelations except for that... <laughs> That some people say dy dx, and they mean <laughs> dy by dx. I was a bit more satisfied. I'm going to give it a seven. Cool. Carrying on with your plus one, plus or minus one. No, it's all one. independent thought, Alaric. And then the the next one we did was um, juggling, and juggling cats and horses and things like yeah, that. Yeah, the gates. I just thought it was interesting. I again, I think this has lots of applications to music. We're talking about the underlying beats of these things. Yes, we are once again circling music and yeah. never going there. Yeah. But there are lots of other interesting things you can think about with these sort of things. So if you think about how like a millipede um, transitions its legs. like uh, there, there are loads of mass papers that people read on these sort of things. Yeah. They're really yeah. interesting. Yeah. Mm, eight. Oh, wow. Okay. Four. Really? Yeah. Well, didn't, what, was, what was wrong? I wanted us to get a full picture of what was happening with the gallop, and I disliked what the gallop became. Oh, you didn't like the answer? Yeah. <laughs> so you're giving it a low score? That's what it were. That's what it is. I think when people talk about juggling at a gallop, it produces something else, but I'm not sure what that something else is. I think, I think there would be some different way of transitioning, translating the gallop into juggling language, which produces something nice. But I don't know what it is. Yeah, probably because you're like, if you rotate the gallop 90 degrees and somebody ends up throwing to themselves. Yeah. And all the one, two, three, four is actually the first one is passed to the other person. They pass themselves very quickly, pass it back to you, and the, the four is the big ends throw up, in the air. Yeah, between yeah. those two hands. It becomes a bit more like a church steeple like type thing. But there's definitely more room to explore with um, like canters, which is a three-beat thing rather than a four-beat thing, and mm. trots and things. Mm. Um, but I, I will play around with the notation a bit. Yeah. Okay. Well, very good. I that was I think that was a cracking episode. Um, nicely difficult. Yep. And um, and enjoyable all round. Thank you everybody for listening to the show. If you want to contact us. You can go oddsandevenings.com forward slash contact. Uh, there's a form there, and you can totally write in your name and email address and message and so on, and it'll reach us. Another way you can get to us is through Twitter, uh, twitter.com slash oddsandevenings. We're at at oddsandevenings on there. Uh, we have a subreddit, forward slash r forward slash oddsandevenings, which someone needs to tend to. Uh, where else? We're on Facebook. Um, 
obviously we're on iTunes as well. If you would like to give us a review as to what you think of the show, please do. We like to read them. And um, oh, and then individually, you can find me at, at speakmouthwords. And you can't find Alaric, sorry. <laughs> I read all the main show stuff. It reads all the main show stuff, but uh, he's uh, he has. You've got to go through his people if you want to, if you want to get to Alaric. Uh, good. That's it. I enjoyed that one. Yeah. Um, see y'all soon. This was episode twenty, by the way, isn't it? Isn't that great? Twenty yeah. episodes. Twenty aired episodes. <laughs> Twenty-three episodes total. Yeah. <laughs> Um, we will never release those. They were rubbish. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, yeah. See you soon. Bye bye, everybody. Bye bye. And if you let's say you number the the left foot is one and the right foot is two, and then the left foot at the back is three, and the one at the the left foot so the, and the foot. Oh, I'm not doing very well today. <laughs> <laughs> Let me start again.